next, what's happening right now is our ages 4 to 10 are leaving for Rock Church, their children's church, and then we have ages 12 to 14 is called Bridge. That's that bridge between the youth group and, and children's ministry, and so they have their own class down there also. Well, I'm thankful to see everybody who has braved the cold to come on in. I almost, I saw a lot of churches making announcements and no, it's, it's a difficult thing trying to know when to have church, when not to have church, and no way am I making fun of any pastors that have to make those decisions. But I was going to just have some fun because if I was going to send out, I have a special announcement, everyone would expect me to be saying church is canceled. And I was going to come on this morning and go, I have a special announcement. I saw the Chiefs game yesterday. It looked freezing cold. So we're going to go ahead and move our services on Sunday indoors <laughs> and see what everybody would say. You guys want to move this service outside? That'd be fun, huh? Uh, well, you don't have to raise your hands, okay? But think back to 2023. I know it was a long time ago. Would you say it was an amazing year? I know I'm not saying raise your hands, but just, just, just from my point of view, see, you're looking at me, but I'm looking at a lot of faces and eyeballs right now. And I, just that question, some people went, So for some, you would be like, yeah, let me testify. 2023 was awesome. And others of you are like, don't even talk about it. Don't, don't even bring it up. Would you say it was a year filled with challenges? Well, our lives are filled with highs and lows and ups and downs, some good days and bad days, sunshine and warm weather and snowfall and below zero temperatures. And for some of you weirdos, you like this cold weather. And so I don't know, but... People will say, well, you're from Wisconsin. I was like, yeah, I left. <laughs> I left. I left the ways of Wisconsin, other than possibly maybe like their football team that plays today. But if, if, if we're not careful, we can become a prisoner to our circumstances. And our spirit, our outlook, our ministry, and even our walk with God can sometimes be dictated by our circumstances. But this is not the will of God for us. I don't read in scripture where he's like, depending on how situations look, that should dictate your worship. That should dictate whether you're faithful. That should dictate whether I'm able to accomplish what I desire to accomplish in you. No, no, no. My circumstance does not dictate or define me. And so today we're, we're looking at week three of our series, our Dominion series. And week three is on dominion over circumstance. Would you pray with me? And when I say pray with me, I mean, don't just listen to me pray. I know sometimes you might think, well, that's, that's, that's the proper thing to do or uh, that's the respectful thing to do is you pray and I listen. That's not how we do it here. I want you to feel like you can talk to God for yourself. I'm gonna talk to God for myself. I'm just leading us in prayer. But feel free to open up your mouth and lift your voice and talk to God because ultimately you want God to do in you what he wants to do today. My goal here is not to just put together a pretty speech, bring up some interesting facts. Ultimately, I want to stand here as a conduit of the Lord, have him use my vessel, this vessel, to speak to all of us and all of us to go, God, whatever you're looking to accomplish in my life today, that's what I desire. Amen. Jesus, help us today, God, as we just, we want our hearts and minds open. We want you looking to just do whatever you want to do. We don't want to get in your way. We are vessels of you. We want you to speak to us, change us, challenge us, correct us, lead us, guide us, whatever it is that you're looking to accomplish, Lord. We want to walk out of this place as vessels that you are calling us to be. Nothing more, nothing less. And so, Lord, I pray your word doesn't need any help. It's powerful. It's anointed. But I need help because I'm a human being, and I'm going to stand here, and I'm asking you to speak through me to every heart, mind, and life who is not only sitting in the pews but watching online, either live or archive. And so, God, I pray that your word would just come to life in every circumstance, every situation. In your name we pray. Amen. You see, Jesus forewarned us that life would be filled with challenges. He said in John 16, 33, he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, 
you will have many trials and sorrows. I mean, that's not exactly a popular verse, but it does not say, let me talk to you about when you have trials. It says you will have trials and sorrows. Again, that's why I think I said that last week, is I'm not like some bad prophet about 2024, but 2024, here it is, not even prophetic, just common sense. You're going to have some awesome days and some tough days. That's not even the word of God speaking. You're just, you're going to have some good days and you're going to have some tough days. And if all we ever want is, Lord, just give me the good days, but what about in the tough days when he's trying to develop things in us? What about when he takes us through things because he says, you asked me to use you, you asked me to mold and shape you, and I can't just mold and shape you on good days. And so he says, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. Take heart. He says, I've, I've overcome the world. With this warning, he also gives us hope, hope that in spite of the trials, our current circumstance should not define us. We have eternal hope and an eternal promise. Our adversary, the devil, who we talked about last week in dominion over Satan, he's keenly aware of our human condition. He's privy to the unique blend of humankind that we have, body, soul, spirit, that make us whole. Paul writes his first letter to the, to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Certainly, the devil knows that attacking us in one of these areas, body, soul, spirit, will be paramount to disrupting our lives, to disrupting our calling. And he also knows that one thing bleeds into another thing. For instance, if you are struggling in your body, this will also impact your mind. Anyone ever able to say there's been a time, maybe right now, but there's been a time in your life that you go, I struggled with something physically and ailing my body. Anyone? And in that moment, I think if we're not careful, that physical ailment can impact our mind. And just like that, if we're struggling with stress and anxiety in our spirit, well, guess what happens? That will also impact our mind and our body if we're struggling with stress and anxiety. So the Apostle Paul warns us to be aware of Satan's devices. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. This is imperative. Why? We must submit ourselves to God. That's why James 4.7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We read that last week when we were talking about Satan, that it's a two-part component there, that we need to submit ourselves to God and resist the devil. If all we're trying to do is resist the devil without submission to God, then we're doing everything based on human emotion and human drive and trying our best, but your best isn't good enough unless God's involved. When God gets involved, I can go, all right, I'm going to resist the devil and I'm going to submit to God. And with those two things, the devil will flee. And so then I will have dominion, but that doesn't mean that if I have dominion, oh, Satan doesn't have power. No, I just need to understand who he is, who I am. And if I resist him and submit to God, then I'm powerful. And so God gave us a clear promise against the enemy's sabotage in Luke 10, 19. He says, behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by, shall, by any means shall hurt you. So I've been given power. He looks at, his, at me and, and his followers then, and it still is a promise for me that goes, hang on, I have power. I have God-ordained power and dominion where he says, you're going to be able to tread on serpents you have power and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We have dominion, not only over Satan himself, but over the circumstances in our lives, okay? There's nothing, if you were always using the devil made me do it, last week we learned we can't use that anymore. But today, if, you, if you're sitting here going, yeah, but... I was trying to serve God, but then life happened, this happened, then that happened. And we've, if we've been using that as somewhat of a crutch to say, well, every time that I try to serve God, something seems to get in my way. So what you're saying there is, even though I've been given dominion, I'm going to go ahead and hand dominion to the circumstance in my life. 
I, I can't overcome certain things that arise in my life. Every time I try to serve God, this happens or that happens. And I know this sounds insensitive, and I don't mean it insensitive, but my, 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 my statement will be, well, who cares? Not, I don't care about you personally, but who cares about the circumstance? If the circumstance arises, the only difference between a stumbling block and a stepping stone is how you use it. And so I can say, no matter what the circumstance is in my life, I can, instead of it tripping me up, I can step up and use it to elevate me. And so times of challenge and triumph are not the only time the enemies the enemy will try to get us with circumstance. He will also absolutely, I would argue in some, in some ways, he will actually try to get us more in times of blessing and success. Oftentimes we want to focus, and I'll focus on that for a moment, about when things trip us up and when there's tip, difficult or, or tr- challenging trials. But very much, The enemy can get us in a time of success, of blessing. Why? Because sometimes when I trip and I fall down, I cry out to God because life is is challenging. But when I'm coasting, health is good, family's fine, finances look nice, ministry opportunities are there, I'm just walking the path. I'm not struggling to pay bills, car's not breaking down, house is fine. We can look at people and go, oh, their pipes froze and burst. Thank God mine aren't freezing and bursting. Their cars broke down. Thank God my car's not broke down. Things are, things are going well for me. I've got no issues. And, and if we're not careful, we can be walking along going, I got this. Life's good. You know, made wise by millennia of deceit, the the devil often undermines us during times of success. Psalm 91 describes the blessed state of the godly in the secret place of the Most High God. God is a refuge, a fortress, a hiding place for the righteous. Deliverance is promised for those who enjoy this divine protection. Psalm 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He's my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Surely He will will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. Sounds like a beautiful psalm. But then we're introduced to four threats. In verse 5, it says, Thou shalt not be afraid... Of the terror by night. Say terror by night. Number two, nor the arrow that flieth by day. Say the arrow that flies by day. Or if you prefer King James English, you can say the arrow that flieth by day. Number three, in verse six, it says, nor the pestilence that walketh in darkness. Go ahead. The pestilence that walks in darkness. And then number four, it says, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Say the destruction at noonday. So we read four different threats. One, the terror by night. Two, arrow that flies by day. Three, pestilence that walks in darkness. And four, the destruction that wastes at noonday. Both sacred and secular historians tell the same story here. One of the most memorable seasons of life is when one one walks in the wake of victory, and it's called noonday. When the sun of accomplishment is at its zenith and we are flush with success, whether professionally, financially, rationally, or spiritually, Noonday can be dangerous. One might think that the soul is safe in success. But the record of humankind shows otherwise. When the nation of Israel was chafing under the heel of Midian, God heard the cries of his people and sent a deliverer. 
And although they were all paralyzed with fear, a young man named Gideon, he steps up as Jehovah's chosen vessel. And after God dispels Gideon's initial doubts, because Gideon's like, who am I? Oh, I can't do this. He's, he's freaking out. And God says, no, you're the man. You're going to be fine. He had to do this with a couple guys, Moses, Gideon. He goes through this little spiel, gets them on board, kind of still does that with us sometimes when he calls us. We're like, me? What have I done? You don't understand me. Oh, he can't use me. And he's like, yes, I can. Yes, I can. He has to work through things with us. But miracle after miracle is God demonstrates his power to Gideon. And he says, all right, you're going you're gonna to take the Midianites, even though their army's more professional, stronger, more weapons, bigger, you're going to take them. And so Gideon gathers 32,000 men. Sounds like a lot, but that was just a minute fraction of the Midianite army. But even though he's like, okay, I got 32,000 guys, we're still, that's a minute fraction, but at least I got a good company. At least we got some, some fighting numbers. We can get out there and do something. Well, in Judges 7, God commands those who are frightened to head home. Gideon, just tell your army, whoever's scared, to just head home. Gideon probably is like, no, I don't want to do that. So he gets up, he's like, hey, y'all, just whoever's scared, go ahead and, and, and just head home. Well, imagine how dumbfounded the young deliverer felt when 22,000 out of the 32,000 left and went home. I mean, I would be talking some trash, okay? If I'm like, all right, here's my army. Army, we're going to go do this. Training starts next week. But God said, if you're scared, head home. In thousands. I'd be like, where are you going, man? Sit back down. 22,000. Get up, and he's just left with 10,000. And he's going, we just lost half the army. And so then the almighty God informs Gideon, hey, Gideon, we got a problem. You still got too many. Imagine being Gideon. You were scared yourself, kind of worked through that, got your army assembled, 32,000, 22,000 leave. You got 10,000, just a, a tiny frag. You already had a tiny fraction. Now it's less than that. You're going to go up against a whole army with 10,000 people, and God says, you still got too many. You, you know, if you're, if you're like me, I'd be having a, a real, real heart-to-heart -heart with God at this point. Are you kidding me right now? I didn't have too many when I had 32,000. You said to send them home. Right. Now you're telling me that more need to go home? And he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. Um, I want you to go to the water. And uh, if anybody, anybody who just dunks their head under the water, which is funny because growing up, I didn't understand the context of the story. And so when I would take baths, which now I just despise baths. Maybe this is why. Showers are where it's at, but, but I would go, I would go, and when I would go to get the shampoo out of my hair, when I started, I would try and go like this, because I was like, I can't put my head under the water, because I want to be chosen by God. <laughs> that's why I'm your pastor today, right now, I'm just, that's, that's the revelatory moment right there, I didn't dunk my head. I wish I was joking, but I was little, and that's what I thought. So I just started taking showers because I was like, no, that's not the reason. But they, if they showed up and they put their head in the water versus he said, you need to take the people who go like this because they were ready. You know, they're aware. And so if you lap water like this, you got to stay in the arm. You dunked your head under, you went home. Imagine Gideon's nerves. He's like, all right, guys, it's time to drink. Oh, God. Oh, God. Like, he's watching everybody take drinks. They're probably like, bro, back up. I'm getting a drink of water. What's wrong with you? And he's sitting there, and, and guys are dunking. And 10,000 people he gets to keep. They must have been thirsty. He gets to keep 300. 32,000 was a minute fraction. It's too many. Fine, 22,000 gone, 10,000 left. That's still too many. 300 people. Gideon's like, you are going to send me 
into this army that has probably hundreds of thousands of people with 300 people? You see, because when God calls us to do stuff, it doesn't always make sense. Half the time what he's asking us is, will you trust me that I'm in control? Because he goes with 32,000, he might even make the argument, wow, those guys could really fight. All those guys are pretty amazing. But when you go with 300 people, there's nothing else. No one else gets the credit but God. And so he's commanded the fiercest war machine of that day. He fights Midian with less than 1% of his original forces. Adding insult to injury, these fledgling fighters were commanded, oh, and by the way, you're going into battle with 300. I got one more thing for you, Gideon. Gideon's probably like, now what? I just want you to take torches, pitchers, and trumpets to, to the battle. You want me to do what? Yeah, yeah, 300 guys, that's good. But you're going to take not swords and shields. I want you to take pitchers and trumpets, and torches. At what point do you go, can I still back out of this job? No swords, no spears. Not surprisingly, there was divine intervention. The Midianites turned on one another. They show up, and they're they're smashing pots and go, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And they woke up, and they're like fighting each other. And God gives an, an incredible victory to Israel that day with 300 people carrying torches and pitchers and trumpets as they blew trumpets and smashed pitchers and they just thought there was a huge army around them. Imagine waking out of a sleep to a trumpet and smashing pitchers. You'd probably fight whoever's in front of you too. But in the wake of this wonderful and powerful victory, the wheels came off. I mean, wouldn't you think, like, now's the time, like, wow, God is good. Like, you go back to the camp, blow those trumpets, have the, you'd have a time of worship. I got to take drum lessons, by the way, Pastor Gavin, because I can't do the double time stuff. Like, I can't, I I can't, I can't ever play on a praise break, and and that bothers me, because I, my my foot starts going with the snare, and it just starts going, and I lose it. Now I gave up my secret. If I'm ever on those drums in a praise break, y'all gonna be laughing at me. Like, the courageous young captain was envied by all. I mean, after all, wow, you led this victory, 300 people. The Midianites are going, wow, let's raise up our leader. Let's, let's, let's bring him. Let's bring him on high. Gideon should be our leader. Our war- He's a warrior. He's the- he should be the king. In Judges 7, 18, it says, when I blow with the trumpet, he says, everybody that was with me, they said, the sword of the Lord and Gideon and princes who had ignored him were clamoring for his company. The men of Israel invited Gideon to rule the nation. Let's, he needs to be elevated for leading such an incredible victory. One frightened man's destiny had miraculously merged with God's eternal purpose. But Gideon wisely refused those invitations because he knew I'm not called to be a king. Things are looking good. Let's worship God. God's the one that done this. I'm not the king. That's not, I'm not the guy. He knew it wasn't for him. It wasn't for his sons. And Gideon would not ascend to the throne, but he did say, you know what though? I would like one thing. The Midianites were laden with Silver and gold, a wealthy people. And Gideon made this request in Judges 8.24. He says, however, I have one request that each of you give me an earring from the plunder you collected from your fallen enemies. The enemies being Ishmaelites all wore gold earrings. Gladly, they replied. They spread out a cloak and each one threw a gold earring he had gathered from the plunder. The weight of the gold earrings was 43 pounds, not including the royal ornaments and pendants, the purple clothing worn by the kings and the chains around their necks of their camels. Yes, they put chains around the necks of their camels. What in the world? 
Gideon wanted and received gold. It was a spoil of war. It was the the trophy of triumph. It was, I don't need to be your king, but give me all of this. And whoa, look at it instantly made him probably the richest man in Israel. He deserved it, right? I mean, it was a banner day. He was the one that led them into it. He, and so I think most people in our day and age, we'd say, well, I got no problem with that. He, yeah, it was just one earring from everybody. Great, fine. The guy deserved it. He led him. But what should have happened with a, what should have been a happy ending in this story and ended instead with this one verse. Judges 8.27. Gideon made a sacred ephod from the gold and put it in Oprah, his hometown. But soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it. It became a trap for Gideon and for his family. Just leave that up. People today sometimes, well, I can't trust the word of God. We have a translation. There's no original manuscript. Listen, <laughs> Moses lifted up a serpent in the desert and they just started worshiping the serpent. Gideon makes an ephod, they start worshiping. You know what Christianity would do if we had the original manuscripts that were actually written on? People wouldn't worship the word of God. They would start worshiping the papyrus that it was penned on. It wasn't meant to be, oh, this was just, oh, I'm going to remember. It probably starts innocent. I'm going to remember what God did for us, for my family. But what turned out to be maybe even, maybe even something that had good intentions. It became a snare. It became a trap. Not only for the whole nation, but even scripture points out specifically for the man, the great man, the valiant man who led the victory. An ephod was a vestment worn by the high priest during worship. Gideon made a religious image with the spoils of battle that his God had supernaturally won. And before you know it, his victory became his snare. And Gideon's example makes the promise of Psalm 91 even more pertinent and powerful to us. Because when we're tempted to revel in the spoils of victory and find ourselves in the glare of good fortune and success, we will either give the glory to God or take the glory for ourselves. Well, yeah, I mean, I've I got education. I have skills. I have talent. I mean, I've, I've worked my way up the, the chain. I've, I've, I've put in long hours. I deserve this. I deserve this house, this car, this paycheck, that title. People should look to me for this. I've, after all, I've, I've paid my dues. Be very, very careful. Happens in ministry. Yes, I was preaching in a crusade and X amount of people received the Holy Ghost. Just be careful with that ephod. Oh, praise God. And we sometimes we share it. People share stuff on Facebook in the name of giving God glory. I was preaching and 13 people received the gift of the Holy Ghost and 14 were baptized. To God be the glory. Really? Just make sure. Just make sure. Because if God is going to get the glory, I probably don't even need to throw it on social media that I was even speaking. Sometimes we get really good at being, we get almost better at being self-promoters than we are God-promoters. Usually the people I'll have in this pulpit, you're not going to see them talking about the numbers of the people that God's life changed where they preached. It just kind of goes before them. The enemy doesn't necessarily mind if you gain a victory in life. He just wants to make sure that you are the one who glories in that victory. Rather than giving glory to God. If you're thinking like, God help all those people who are struggling right now. Bless God, I'm doing fine. Just be careful with the ephod. Be careful that in all the blessing, I start to go, yeah, I've worked hard. I made moves for this. I interviewed for this. I have this. I've been doing this a long time. You don't know what the sacrifices I've had to make. No, 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 no. God is the one who elevates and sits down. 
I certainly think we should work hard. We should do everything we can, get the education, work hard, interview well, get the resume professionally done, do everything we can, seek God's face, try to say, God, I want to hear from you for whatever ministry outlets he opens, but always remember, this is not about us. Everything that we, every part of our existence is God. Lord, it's not just even ministry. In my professional career, Lord, help me to always point people to you. It's not about me. And if the enemy can't get you with success, then he may instead try to trip you up due to the trials and tribulations. Peter warned not to be shocked by this. He said, in 1 Peter 4.12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if it was something strange happening to you. Peter's telling us that. How many times have you talked to a believer that goes, I just don't understand, I'm struggling, and I shouldn't be struggling because I go to church on Sundays. I serve in ministry. I give tithes. Why does God let this happen? Because scripture says, if you serve God, you shouldn't deal with problems. I just haven't found what passage that is yet. It's the book of Gary, chapter three. Somebody sitting there going, I don't think there's a Gary in the Bible. Those who imagine life free from opposition are those who incorrectly conclude that life in Christ comes without difficulty. They will be utterly disappointed and discouraged. Paul tried to tell the Philippian church about this when he said in Philippians 4.12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. We look at that and go, yeah, I'll take the latter. If I got to live for God with nothing or everything, um, I'll go with B. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty stomach. Um, on that one, I'll go with A. Little or nothing, plenty or little. Paul learned, he said, to be content. He learned to have dominion over his circumstance because he learned that the circumstance did not dictate who he was. The circumstance did not dictate his effectiveness as a man of God. He knew that, you know, whether I'm hungry or not, whether I have a lot or I have a little or have nothing, I'm going to be the man God's calling me to be, and God is still going to be my provider whether I'm making money or not. God's still going to be my provider whether I'm driving this or not. God's still going to be my provider whether I get the job or don't get the job. And at the end of the day, if I'm the most blessed man alive, I'm not going to start looking at me going, oh, I have a great resume. I've worked. I've climbed the corporate ladder. No, no matter what goes on, I go to God be the glory. He's the one who rises up. He's the one who sits down. He's the one who elevates and he's the one I will worship. I'm going to worship him because it's, it's his battle. It's his fight. He's the one that knows the beginning from the ending. So I'm not going to sit here and make this about me. That's so why sometimes when things, the going gets tough in people's lives, don't make the mistake in 2024 of the first person you cut out being God. Bills are tight. Where can we take? Well, let's cut the ties. Really? Do you want to go through 2024 by saying, I'm going to give myself a shot to be my own provider this year? But it's difficult when you look and there's more month than money and you go, oh, they're going to shut off the electric. They're going to do this. Well, I guess I could take from God because he's more a man of grace than the electric company. But essentially what we're doing is I'm going to give my, myself a shot to see if I can provide for myself this year. No, no, no. I'm going to say, God, you are first. Well, it's been a tough week. I don't feel like going to church. If it's been a tough week, church is the first thing that gets cut. That's probably what you'd need more than anything. You see this flesh that we live in, this, that we walk in. He, Paul's saying, no, 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 I've learned. It don't matter the circumstance because who I am in God, my relationship with God, ministry, it is not dictated on my circumstance. I have learned whatever state I'm in to be content. He says to the Romans, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. 
I'm convinced nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, our fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he saying there? You're going to have circumstances in your life because I have had circumstances in my life. He says, but let me remind you, there is no circumstance under heaven. There's no circumstance that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. He says, if I just keep being who I am, he's going to keep being who he is. And I don't need to worry. I don't need to fear about today or worry about what's coming tomorrow. I have been given dominion over my circumstance because I serve a God who does all things well. An Irish playwright and critic of the early 1900s, George Bernard Shaw, said this, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. That's what he said. Everybody's always blaming their circumstances for what they are. But I don't believe in circumstances because we want to blame our circumstance for what we are. But what we are, oh, it's just a result. Of, I'm, I'm just an innocent bystander that is molded and formed by my circumstance. No, we should be molded and formed by Jesus. The circumstance, if we say, I'm not going to curse the circumstance. I'm not going to, oh, man, I can't do it. The circumstance did this. I was handed a bad deck of cards. No, no, no. I'm going to be who God's calling me to be. And it does not matter what the circumstance is in 2024. God is going to be my God. I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to be who he calls me to be. To the same, to some, the, uh, the Old Testament books of First and Second Chronicles are dull. They're monotonous narratives filled with mundane details about generations of Jewish believers. But beginning with Adam and, and Seth and Enoch, these include the begats and the begets and the scores and, and things that were just like, are we done yet? Now and again, almost as a footnote, we get a glimpse of humanity. We see Judah's sin with Tamar, Achan's sin troubling Israel, honorable Jabez's prayer to be blessed. And after 303 verses, mostly filled with names that have little meaning to us now, we find a timeless truth in an anointed narrative. In 1 Chronicles 7, it says, Zabad, Shuthala, Ezer, and Eliad. These two were killed trying to steal livestock from the local farmers near Gath. Anybody recognize the terminology Gath? That's where a giant came from named Goliath. Their father, Ephraim, as would any father, mourned for them a long time. He lost two boys. His relatives came to comfort him couldn't be comforted. It's like going to a funeral, you know, somebody loses children, you say, I'm so sorry. I mean, what do you say? There's nothing to say. It's just painful for the person who lost. It says, afterward, Ephraim slept with his wife and she became pregnant, gave birth to a son. Ephraim named him Bariah because of the tragedy his family had suffered. Ephraim and his family were living in the land that God had promised to their forefather, Abraham. Owing to God's promises, they were relatively safe at that place at that time. Suddenly, the men of Gath appeared on the scene. They tried to steal Ephraim's cattle. His sons were slaughtered. His cattle lost. He lost, he lost his boys. In all likelihood, Ephraim's inconsolable. Can't be comforted. His life is filled with turmoil. Previous blessing meant nothing. I mean, you can think about all the things that you're so happy that you have in your job and car and house and finances and 401k and all the promising career and all these things. You lose a child, nothing matters. No, every, uh, there's nothing, everything else takes a back seat. I didn't lose a child, but just even finding out my son had type 1 diabetes. I remember at that moment, we were looking at the building, what they were going to offer for this. And I was like, I don't care if you give me five bucks for this building. I'm out. I did not care at that moment because nothing else mattered. 
but my son's health. And so this man, he's stripped to nothing by the men of Gath. The son of Israel felt empty in his season of suffering and sorrow. It was a time of trouble, a day of indescribable heartache. His confidence was shattered. His hope was lost. And it was in this difficult time that he retreated to his home into the hands of his wife. And while living in the horrific loss of their son, she conceived and gives birth to this boy named Bariah. In keeping with Jewish naming conventions, because us, we'll go to, you know, top 100 names of this year, and we're just like, that. no, we can't name our child that. No, remember my friend who I worked with three years ago? They have a son that's named that, and we're just like randomly choosing names. Jewish culture is different. A name had meaning. A name was everything. God would call someone. You're not going to be called Abram. You're Abraham. You're not going to be called Sarai. You're Sarah, mother of nations. And so names were so crucial. In Hebrew, the word Bariah refers to misfortune or disaster. Imagine being that boy. He's like, I'm so depressed. I'm so discouraged. I'm still thinking about the boys I lost. I'm going to name you misfortune or disaster. Imagine that. Little boys running around. Come here, you disaster. I mean, nobody wants to be called that. But the name recalled the context in which he was born, a time of trouble. And some 30 verses later, we, we, we could just fly through this and miss it. But 30 verses later, after another list of long names, long list of names, truth comes full circle. And 1 Chronicles 8.13 says, Bariah and Shema, they were the leaders of the clans living in Aijalon. And they drove out the inhabitants of Gath. That which was born in a season of sorrow and birthed in a day of difficulty were later the very instruments that God used to deliver his people. The circumstance didn't define him. Yeah, I have a name, and this is what I'm labeled as. But God has a plan and a purpose for my life. And even though there was tragedy that's gone before me in my, in my heritage, I don't have to be defined by the tragedy that comes before me. What's in your lineage? What's in your story? What, what, what happened in your home, your parents' home, your grandparents' home, your great-grandparents' home? What's your family known for? Maybe you don't want to tell people about it. Maybe you're not even ashamed. You're, you're ashamed of what has happened, what you used to do, what you have done, what you had done, what your parents had done, the way you grew up, how I didn't have this and I didn't have that. And people would never understand my upbringing, what I lacked and what I went through. And God says, it doesn't matter how other people label you. I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. And even though everybody says you're just an unfortunate disaster and that's what you come from, you come from heartache and, and hurt. God says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you to drive out the very thing that has caused your family problems for years. The very thing that has caused heartache in your home. I've called you to be the one that, that says you are, you are gone. I'm driving you out. You're not welcome here. You will never have power because my circumstance will not define me. My God is the one who's going to define me. Why don't you just thank him? Jesus, we thank you, Lord God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're calling us to be. And as, as I bring this to a close today, I want you to see Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 40, 31. He says, they that wait upon the Lord. No doubt you may have heard this passage before. It says, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Even if you're not a strong believer or churchgoer, you've probably heard this read. It's read at, at funerals a lot of times. But this Hebrew expression that's translated wait is in our, in our English Bible. It has a definitive meaning. The original word implies something weak, wrapped around something strong to gain strength. 
those who wait upon the Lord, those with weaknesses that are wrapped around something strong to gain strength. An example might be threading a, 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 a fragile piece of string through the links of a strong steel chain. Once the string is woven among the links, it becomes strong like the chain, even though the string itself is not the chain. It doesn't have the strength of the chain. But when you, when you wind that, that string all among the chain, guess what? It takes on the strength of what it's wrapped around. Isaiah challenged us to gain strength. And what's he's talking about here? He says, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew them. They shall mount up with wings. There's strength that comes to a weak vessel. When we are willing to say, this weak vessel ain't going to stay by itself, but I'm going to wrap myself around something that's stronger than me. And so guess what? Because of that, I now walk in the strength. I can say, I now can do all all things through Christ who gives me my strength because it's never been about me. It's been about the fact that in my weakness as a little string, I can wrap myself around an almighty, powerful God who's got more power than a chain link fence and say, you can't break me. You can't tear me apart anymore because I'm a part of something stronger. Though we wore these fragile frames of flesh, we have supernatural strength linking ourselves to God. How do we do this? We do it when we're changed into his image, the daily practice of prayer, consistent and meaningful time in his presence. And as I close, your present circumstance may be one of richness and joy. Things might be just going perfectly well for you right now. Great, I'm happy for you. People say misery loves company. That's foolishness. Not in this church. We're going to celebrate when things are going well for you. But just guard your heart. Don't allow yourself to be exalted in pride. Don't take glory when that glory belongs to God. On the flip side, your present circumstance might be one of challenge and trial. Matter of fact, you're doing a good job. You're here, you're smiling, you're serving, looking like you got things together. Inside, you are just screaming out because it seems like no one knows what you're really going through. You might feel all alone right now going, even if I talked to somebody, they would never understand. You don't have to live in that discouragement that anxiety, that fear. Because although that's not easy what you're going through, your circumstance today does not dictate tomorrow's anointing. But your response to your circumstance, that is what going, that, that's what's gonna dictate tomorrow's anointing. You can despise your circumstance and go, oh, this and that. I've been handed a bad deck of cards and I just this and this happened and that happened. Yes, but he promised he'll be with you. He promised he's not going to forsake you. And you can say all I am is just a waste. All I am is Bariah. And God's going, oh, I can change your name. What everybody else views as an unfortunate disaster, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Because this has plagued your family long enough. And I can look at you and I can use you to drive out everything. I know that you're saying, I don't feel qualified. And you're not. There's not a single person in this room or watching online who is qualified. The only qualifications come from God. And when he says he finds value in us, he can take us and he can change the course of everything in our family. 
if we will just be willing to say, my circumstance will not define me. My circumstance today will not define tomorrow's outlook. I am a child of God. 2024, I am taking dominion over self. I'm taking dominion over Satan. And I am taking dominion over my circumstance. Listen, you will either let that circumstance have dominion over you or you will take dominion over the circumstance. Which direction you go is totally up to you. And in between that, what happens to us and our response, it's this space. And in that space, we have freedom to choose how we will respond. And I will tell you right now, choose wisely because God has a plan for you in 2024. Circumstances are coming. They're not all going to be perfectly what you thought they should or would be, but your circumstance doesn't have to define you. Take dominion. I invite you to stand to your feet right now. And no matter where you are, if everything's hunky-dory, going great, you have no problems and it's wonderful, find a place at this altar to pray and begin to give God glory. Say, God, thank you for your blessing. Thank you for who you are. Lord, don't let this, me make this about me. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about your goodness, your grace, your mercy. If you're sitting here going, oh, you don't understand what I'm going through. It's a time of trial and tragedy and difficulty. You can find a place and go, God, my circumstance will not define who I'm going to be in 2024. People might call me Bariah, but I know who I am in you, and I know what you're capable of doing. I don't, I don't care what the upbringing is, and what the household was, or what it lacked, or what it didn't lack. I am a child of God, and I'm powerful, and I take dominion over my circumstance right now. I will not be a slave to circumstance in 2024. I'm going to be a child of God. I'm going to be mightily used to drive out things that have been trying to attack my family. I know who I am because I know who my God is. This isn't about me. It's just about my submission to his plan. It's about who he is. It's about his power. It's about his anointing. It, I, I don't care what people have labeled me and what they've said about me. I'm going to walk forward knowing, God, that you see something in me and you're going to do something in me and to me and through me and it's going to change my family. It's going to change those around me. Oh, I cry out to you right now in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. We take dominion over our circumstance. You are